You are listening to Africa Rights Talk, a Center for Human Rights podcast series hosted by Tatenda Musinahama. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to this week's episode of Africa Rights Talk. With me today is Amanda Manyame. I will not give much away about who she is. I'll ask her to do that and introduce herself and the organization she's from in a moment. But just to let you know that this episode is in light of the center's annual campaign, which is hashtag Tech for Rights, rethinking a human rights-based approach to new technologies in Africa. And as you might have listened to our earlier podcast, we've mentioned that the surge of technological advancements in the last few decades has had major impacts in our society in an unprecedented manner. And we see the effect in the transformation that is occurring in the shifts within healthcare delivery, access to education, coordination of protests, engagement in warfare, and several other issues that go on around us. And we see that these things are taking place in a rapidly evolving nature, making it difficult for us to answer questions on the impact of human rights and all of what is going on around us today. So this is now why we're here today to talk about how we can rethink human rights approaches in an era where there's um, technology. In today's episode, we'll be looking at violence against women online. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the issue that gender-based violence is taking place in unfortunate um, numbers. And as much as we've had conversations about gender-based violence in the home and um, in other forms, today we'd just like to focus on violence against women online. So before we just get into more detail about that and before we get to asking the questions, Amanda, can you please just introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell us about yourself, the work that you do, and um, you know, the organization where you're from. Hi, Sisinda. Thank you so much for having me on here today. I am Amanda Manyame and I work at Equality Now as Equality Now's digital law and rights consultant. Equality Now is an international human rights organization with the mission to achieve legal and systemic change that addresses violence and discrimination against all women and girls around the world. Equality Now was founded in, founded in 1992 and it is a global organization. We have partners and members in every region across the world. We work across four thematic areas, which are ending sexual violence, ending sex trafficking, ending harmful practices, and achieving legal equality. Um, currently, we have undertaken legal research, which is aimed at understanding what laws currently ex exist, gaps and opportunities to address online sexual exploitation and abuse or gender-based violence, with a particular focus on adolescent girls and women. Our legal research and report is globally facing, so it looks at the laws from a global level, and we also particularly go into the EU and nationally in India, the UK, the US, Kenya, and Nigeria. Uh, in my work at Equality Now, I work at the intersection of technology and law, and I provide legal and technical expertise around Equality Now's program to end online sexual exploitation and abuse against women and adolescent girls. Thank you so much again for having me on here today for this um, very important topic. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Amanda. So uh, I think we'll just 
get right into the questions that we will look at today. And I want us to, first of all, define online violence against women. And can you please tell us what the different forms of violence um, against women online are? Very good question. So broadly speaking, violence against women, both online and offline, uh, has been defined in several international instruments. The United Nations Declaration on the Elimination of Violence Against Women defines it as an act of gender-related violence that results in or is likely to result in physical, sexual, psychological, or economic harm or suffering to women. In, this includes threats of such acts, coercion, or arbitrary deprivation of liberty, whether it occurs in public life or in private life. So now online violence against women are acts of gender-based violence that are committed, abated, and, and aggravated in part or fully by the use of information and communication technologies. So online violence is an epicenter of risk, intersectional, intergenerational, and compounding multiple forms of violence against women and girls um, and the only difference with uh, the usual or the violence against women or the gender-based violence that we see in the physical space is that this is happening online and it's perpetuated through the use of technological devices um, the different forms that we see or that have been defined or that have terms at the moment. And I say this this way because they're consistently changing and we have new forms uh, every other month. So the forms we know now are image-based abuse, which is often referred to as revenge porn. We have domestic violence. We have sexual harassment, harassment based on gender. We have doxing, stalking, um, stalking and inciting others to commit violence against women. We also have sex trafficking, which is done via online contact, grooming and entrapment. And we also have sexual extortion and coercion, which is often referred to as extortion. Uh, but as, again, as I've said, these forms are consistently changing and we're consistently seeing new, newer and newer ways in which violence against women is being perpetrated. Okay, so in essence, you made a distinction between offline and online violence against women, right? Um, in a way, I see correlations and similarities between um, gender-based, when people generally talk about gender-based violence, there's an assumption that it's physical violence that doesn't take place online. So I just want to make sure that we are on the same page to make sure that we iron out those similarities and um, yeah, correlations between online and offline violence against women. So in maybe to make this question simpler, is there a distinction between offline and online violence against women? And how do we see that distinction? And does online violence possibly feed into the often talked about gender-based violence that happens physically? You are right in saying it feeds into. So online violence against women is part of the continuum of gender-based violence. And it is rooted in sex, gender, and intersecting inequalities and abuse of power that perpetuates women and girls' subordination in society. 
the internet and digital technologies have just enabled and amplified that violence against women. And it has just increased um, in, in scale and it has made it somewhat easier for perpetrators to be able to take advantage of anonymity online. So they hide their identity and it's harder to track them down. Um, it is also easier for perpetrators to to identify victims um, and to violate women online. So what would normally happen in the physical space, for example, uh, in the case of sex tourism, is perpetrators no longer need to travel, which they would in the physical space. So they don't need to travel to another country or location to be able to identify or abuse their victims. They can simply do this online. Uh, so they can groom you online, um, they can abuse you online, and they can live stream this particular content. Similarly, with online sex trafficking, traffickers are recruiting and selling their victims online without having to physically meet them or to even be based in the same country. So as you have said, it is, it's simply a continuation of what we were seeing in the physical space. The only difference is it being a, it's now a borderless crime. So it can happen in any, in, it happens in multiple countries. So for example, the victim is maybe sitting in Nigeria, the perpetrator is sitting in South Africa, and you've got the tech company, which is in maybe the US. So it is just a borderless crime and it, is, it feels a lot easier to, to do now than it would in the physical space. And sometimes you don't necessarily have physical manifestations of the harm. So the harms might be psychological. Sometimes you don't even have, sometimes it's not live streamed or the content is not shared. Uh, or if it is shared, it is shared in places where maybe you and I don't necessarily have access to. So it's not as easy to identify sometimes as it is with um, gender-based violence in the physical realm. I see. And I like what you mentioned there when you talked about how borderless these um, crimes and online violence against women is. And we'll definitely come back to that when we ask about and try to assess what legal frameworks are there, what legal frameworks have been adopted by different governments to address these issues. But um, moving on to the next question, I'd like to know, in Africa, is violence against women taken seriously? Uh I would speak to online violence in particular. Um, and I would say it's not that it's not taken seriously per se, but rather a lack of understanding of the nature of what is online violence against uh, women? What, what is online abuse against women? Um, because the harm and violence and abuse is usually perceived as being physical. Uh, I, I believe it took a very long time for people to even accept that uh, um, fi financial abuse is a form of gender-based violence or it's a form of domestic violence purely because you can't, it's hard to see, um, it's hard to perceive. So because of that particular reason, there's, this, there's just that lack of understanding because we don't see the physical manifestations of the violence all the time. Um, however, this is not even the biggest part of the problem. 
uh, one of the biggest challenges is the stigma and the victim blaming that are widespread. So it makes it difficult for, for victims and survivors to speak up, especially when sexual violations are involved. So silence means the scale of the problem is not widely understood. There's a lack of re reliable information or data or reports. Um, so this means that online violence against women is not always prioritized to the extent that it needs to be. Also, those who speak out in support of um, women's rights may face public attacks and they may be criticized for undermining family and tra traditional values. There's also a lack of funding for support services, NGOs, um, service shelters and awareness raising campaigns. Um, and as already highlighted, there are, there are gaps in laws and implementation. Uh, for example, where you have uh, an issue around burden of proof for harm. So for example, where the law says, you need to prove that the, the victim was harmed, uh, in particular for sexual violence. So it makes it difficult to even take that matter to court because you can't prove the particular harm in the way that the law requires it. Uh, there are also there, there are many challenges. Um, there's challenges also within the criminal justice system. There's a lack of training, uh, police training and sensitization, and a lack of police re resources, especially when it comes to the online space. Um, and also, the other challenge, which is a general challenge, is that the, the court systems processes go very slowly. So victims either don't ever see their, their perpetrators being brought to justice or when they do, it's years after the fact. So that is also a d d deterrent of um, victims reporting such, such particular um, instances. Uh, and from our research, uh, we've seen that in Nigeria and in, in Kenya, a, a girl can go to the police station and report that she has been uh, abused, uh, but then she'll be turned away either because she's a minor and she's asked to come with her parents, or in some cases they ask for a filing fee, um, and especially when it comes to young girls, they may not have the particular filing fee, and in other instances they are asked um, did you meet this particular individual? And it's, well, no, I didn't meet the particular individual or were you harmed? Uh, do you have scars or do you have proof? And in the online realm, the proof might not always be there. You might not have even met your perpetrator. You might not have a physical scar to prove that this abuse occurred. So there's, there's just a, a number of challenges that arise. So it's not per se that it's not taken seriously. Um, it's one of those de developing areas that a lot of us are trying to wrap our heads around and to understand. And there's also a lot of education that needs to occur. Mm -hmm. You know, um, as you were talking, and this might come across as a very silly question, but I think it's important for me to ask it and maybe to try and break down very simple concepts. So if online violence is taking place against women, one would probably ask, you know, there's no physical um, encounter with the abuser. So why can't women just um, and girls and, you know, different um, groups just log off online? Why is there a seemingly, um, you know, f uh, relationship where one feeds? Because I feel like for the abuser, 
to have a platform to abuse to begin with, there needs to be a willingness on the part of the person who is being abused to um, be online, to log in, to log off or whatever. So there's a question of how the device is being used and all of those things. So basically, there doesn't seem to be a source of coercion. It's not very apparent. Can you try and break that down? for the listeners and for me as well? That's a, that's a very good question. And that question gets asked a lot um, because it's, why are you online? Uh, why did you respond to that individual? So there's, there's that a lot of um, victim blaming where it's, you shouldn't even be online. Why does uh, a 16 year old have a cell phone? Why were they not supervised? You know, all those, all those questions. Um, and we have to understand it from a perception where we all have the right to be online. We all have the right to freely express ourselves and in, in opinions um, in whatever form we want to online or offline without hurting others. So if I want to be online and express my views and maybe chat with my friends or meet new friends online, I should be allowed to do that and I should be able to do that in a safe environment. So what at Equality Now we are seeking to address or seeking for is to have women and girls be as free in the online space as men and boys are to an extent. It's similar with um, saying we want to have women be free to walk on the streets without being either body shamed or catcalled. It's the similar way. We, we, the same way that people can live freely in the physical world is the same way that we want people, women to also be able to freely live um, in the online space. So an example I would give you would be, let's say, female parliamentarians or female celebrities or any other public personality that is a woman that is um, out there. The most common platform to use now would be an online platform. So now if we're asking them to go offline or to switch off or to censor themselves, um, we are essentially saying women do not have the same rights as men. For instance, we're saying marginalized communities uh, cannot express themselves because then if they are being violated in these spaces, they should leave the spaces, which would not be fair, which, uh, and I agree, everyone would think would not be right. Why should a woman leave because she's being violated instead why should we we should instead have a place where uh, women and girls are able to express their views are able to make friends are able to get information um, online without fear of their safety without increased anxiety without loss of self-confidence and without feeling disempowered um, asking women to, to log off would be, in, in a sense, silencing women. That is a very profound response, and I'm glad um, that you um, really highlighted and emphasized that women and girls should be able, they have a right to participate and express themselves online without feeling the fear or, you know, the risk of not being able to um, empower themselves in the way that they wish to. Um, so moving on to my next question, uh, why should we then take online violence against women and girls seriously? 
because of the impact of on online violence against women and girls, um, as mentioned, it occurs as part of a continuum of gender-based violence, and it disproportionately affects women and adolescent girls. And it occurs on on social media platforms uh, and on chat rooms, uh, you know, on your on your WhatsApp. Uh, and yet, the impact is similar to the impact that someone would face in the real world. So um, for instance, if you, if someone, let's say, body shames you or they send your personal images, maybe let's say your, your, your nudes, they are shared, that leads you to feeling um, less confident, one. Two, it invades your right to dignity. Um, it invades your right to, to to privacy, uh, and these particular impacts are, they essentially end up uh, affecting women in many different ways. Uh, for one, it leads to women simply saying, I would rather not even be online, or if I am online, I only speak to a specific group of individuals. Um, it also restricts women from accessing the, 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 the internet. Um, it also restricts them from complaining about violence or even speaking up about certain issues purely because of the fear of that abuse that may occur and the fact that if I was to go to a police station, I might be laughed out of the police station. Um, also, the other issue is when such violence occurs online so there is there is violence where maybe let's say you are body shamed so that's a abuse from an abuse perspective but there's also sexual violence that occurs online and these impacts are psychological the harm has far-reaching impact and um studies have also shown that when when someone is violated at a certain point in their life there is likelihood that they will be violated again so these are impacts that are just not seen in the online space they're also seen on the physical space and if we're taking them seriously in the physical space why should we not take them seriously in the online space your your physical individual and the person or the persona you have online they're not different individuals you're still the same person um, on your twitter account you're still the same person on your facebook account and the same person that wants to feel safe and secure when you walk down the road is the same person that wants to uh, feel safe and secure when you're walking in the streets of twitter as they say Mm -hmm. So basically, um, you're saying that the effects of um, or the impacts of online violence on women are not confined to the impacts that we see that happen um, physically. So you're saying basically the impacts are that it affects the right to dignity and privacy. It affects women's confidence and their self-esteem. And it generally in turn results in women um, having restricted access to the internet and definitely mental health consequences may not be apparent, but it doesn't mean that um, they are not there. And yeah, so do you think the cyber crimes or crimes that take, this nature of crimes that take place online um, have been adopted in some countries adequately to address online violence against women? Not adequately. Um, so in Africa, we do have a number of cyber crime laws or cyber crimes related. Um, in South Africa, we see we've got 
the Domestic Violence Act, which provides for some online components. We also have the Protection from Harassment Act, which we saw recently being used earlier on in the year. Um, we also have the Cyber Crimes Act, which recently came into effect, and that also deals with a number of um, online violations against women in, in, in particular. Uh, similarly, in, in Nigeria, we have the Cyber Crimes um, Prohibition Prevention ETC Act, which also provides for internet partner image abuse. Kenya has the Cyber Crimes Act and image abuse um, is provided for in that particular act. So we, we do see that uh, on the continent, there have been some form of laws to try address violence against women and adolescent girls. Um, however, I would say that they are not adequately providing for this. Um, this is because some of these laws don't address all the forms of online violence against women and girls. So as I've highlighted, image-based abuse or intimate partner image abuse is one of the it's one of the laws that are being you know one of the forms that are being pro pro provided for from a legal perspective. However, as we spoke earlier, there are many other forms, and the challenge is that these laws either predate important technological advances or if they are newer laws the challenge is that they're only providing for one form um, and the other challenge is that because they're providing for either one form of law or they use different um, term terminologies you know the different laws use different terms it leaves gaps and patchworks of the laws so these different forms are then not provided for and it creates a, a, a challenge one of the challenges that we are seeing not just from an african perspective but from you know the global context is the lack of clarity on what constitutes online violence against women or what constitutes terms such as harmful content what exactly is harmful content um, and ha not having this clarity means if the particular harm that I have suffered doesn't fall within what is defined in the particular law, then I'm not able to get legal redress. Um, you are also seeing that there's a particular focus on children. Uh, so yes, adolescent girls would uh, fall under children, However, the challenge is if we are trying to remove this content uh, from an online platform, you're finding that adolescent girls who are reaching puberty or have reached puberty, it's, you tend to be misidentified as adults. So there's already that particular gap. So yes, you might have a law that protects children or focuses on children, but the moment we have adolescent girls, um, who start to present as as young women, it's 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 a lot harder to protect them in the fast-paced online world. Uh, and we're also seeing the fact that the internet is borderless, and our legal frameworks or our laws are usually confined to one jurisdiction. So there isn't that global scope. Um, so it might be difficult. Uh, I'll give an example. Um, in, in South Africa, there was a young girl that was being bullied um, or rather harassed on Instagram. And she tried to ask to have this particular content removed from Instagram. So she contacted Facebook, they removed, she reported it. The content was removed, but now she wanted, um, she suspected that this particular individual was from her school or within her circle. And she tried to get the contact details or the ISP um, for the particular 
particular individual, which is something that you can do in terms of the Protection from Harassment Act. Um, so we have a good act that allows for that. But the challenge was uh, Facebook in South, South Africa, although they have offices, their offices are marketing offices, and you can't you're not able to serve them with legal notices of this nature within the country. So she had to then hire lawyers that are based um, in California, which is something that not everyone is able to do. So because of the borderless nature of the internet and the borderless nature of these crimes and offenses, um, legal frameworks in that instance and then become uh, in ad adequate and will not be able to necessarily protect victims. Uh, and then there is just this need for you know global legal standards that will then provide a common standard for a national you know for national level laws and policies so as to be able to provide for online violence against women and girls. Uh, but that being said, in as much as these laws are not adequate it is a step in the right way um and it is you know you'd urge governments to and policymakers to try and understand more the different challenges from a from a victim survivor perspective so as to see where we can close these gaps and these patchworks in the laws to ensure that women and girls are adequately protected when such violations occur online Thank you, Amanda. And from your response, I can sense a lack of awareness on the part of women themselves, you know, to know what the legal frameworks are and the extent to which these legal frameworks go to protect them, right? And I suppose a lack of awareness on the part of women can lead to a lack of implementation and reporting because if you don't know what is illegal and something has happened to you, how do you even know, you know, when, how to report it and how um, um, officers of the law can take steps to implement those laws in a way to protect um, your rights as a woman. So how aware are women of these, uh, sorry, so how exactly are women aware or to what extent are women aware of the existence of these laws and what can be done to raise awareness so that these laws can be put into practice and eventually, you know, um, evolve to become better laws and address these gaps? That is, that is one of the challenges um, because firstly, we are all not always aware of what laws apply when and how this is you know in in general even if you sign a contract you're not necessarily aware of contract law and what these terms mean so generally from that perspective it's not always easy to understand what protections i am afforded in terms of the law um, and this is now a harder you know challenge because there aren't necessarily laws that always protect women online. Um, so there's, because of those gaps, what can I do uh, if a violation occurs online? So one of the ways is um, on the different platforms, most of the platforms, and I would say all of the platforms have reporting mechanisms. Um, the platforms are being urged and have are making efforts to ensure that you can see where to report so it's not a different page you know you don't have to go through the different online pages uh, but it's as simple as maybe 
right clicking or long pressing on a post or a comment or something and then you get that report button that you can click on and report so that's definitely one way in which you can report a particular violation and that's reporting it uh, to the platform that you are on. Um, and the moment that you report it to the platform that you are on, in the instance of let's say image-based abuse, that particular image is then firstly removed or that comment is firstly removed and then it is stored in a, in a cache um, on that online platform. So the more you have this particular image or this particular user being reported, um, it's highly likely that next time that this image tries to circulate, it's going to be automatically removed by the platforms. So that is definitely one way of doing it. Um, and then secondly, if you go on the community guidelines or um, community standards that the platforms have, they do try to explain to everyone not just women and girls, how to stay safe online. Um, however, sadly, we're not seeing a lot of these efforts, particularly now with COVID-19, where you're finding a lot of children and, and young girls going online purely for school purposes. Um, so there isn't, there's, there isn't that much education when it comes to how do I, as a school child, stay safe online. Um, so this is where we would urge educators, even teachers, just to have that extra knowledge and to just share that with the children. Um, and also having said that, it's, it's quite interesting because our children know more about staying safe online than I, I would dare say myself um, because they they understand the online space a lot more. They were, they were born with the internet there, so they do understand what it means to be safe. They do understand stranger danger in the online space, uh, and they do understand not to share your information online. Uh, but that being said, uh, that education is something that, needs to be ongoing as the different forms of coercion, grooming um, manifest themselves. So it's not always easy to identify. Uh, so education is a very, it's very important. There are organizations that deal with this, um, but it, it does need to just happen from a parents need to educate themselves so you can educate our children. We also just need to be more aware of uh, of the online of what is happening online so who am i speaking to do i know them you know all these questions but having said that um even having looked at all those things it is still very easy to be groomed it is still very easy uh for you to fall prey to these predators online because this is what they do and this is how they're able to target and they know how exactly to target me as a person uh, and how to you know make me comfortable and make me relaxed enough to fall victim um, to whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, so which is why as equality now we are we want there to be laws that are in place to make sure that women and girls are protected online. And we are also urging for for police officers and for the different individuals, especially care care people, to ensure that. Um, women and girls are not only educated of how to stay safe online, but to know how to be able to go lodge a complaint and for the police stations to take that complaint seriously. So all those different steps, you might have the law, uh, but after we have the law, 
people need to know that we have the law and this is what I can do um, if I ever fall prey to these particular in individuals. Uh, but it is, a, it is an effort. There are different, it's, it's multi-layered. So there are different things that need to occur. For example, taking a child seriously when they say, oh, there's this individual that said this and this to me online. So just taking such a comment seriously to checking who is that particular individual and then reporting it to the platform and if it's uh, and even going so far as going to the police station and accepting that this is what happened to my child online i am going to take them to a police station and report it as as women if a fellow woman comes to me and says this is what happened to me online and she's not sure of what to do just trying to find as much information as you can um and ironically enough some of this information is also available in online spaces. Um, so it's it's not a simple question to answer. It is very multi-layered and there is something that each of us can do. Uh, and there are organizations that are also you know, working towards educating not just women and girls online, but also educating individuals, educating families, education in schools, education at the you know, uh, law enforcement level and the policymaker level as well. Indeed. So tell me, um, Amanda, what can governments and individuals do to stop online violence against women and girls? And maybe in your response, you could also touch on how we can make the digital world a place where gender equality is, where, yeah, where we can make sure that gender equality is a reality. Okay, that rhymed a bit much. I got confused, but okay, yeah, that's it. Um, so I will start with what can individuals do? Uh, I, I mentioned some of them previously, but report on the platforms. The more reports we have, the, the more reports platforms have, the more it's, you have a record of the problem, the more you can see where we're finding perpetrators or what tactics are perpetrators using. So the more information you have, the more you can learn, the more that the um, learning machines on the, on the platforms learn. Um, also, refrain from resharing abuse material. Uh, there's what's called the, the innocent bystander syndrome. So in disgust and innocently, I might say, I cannot believe someone posted this. And I reshare that post. So in resharing and resharing and resharing that post, I too am now re-victimizing the victim. I too become part of the problem. So we need to refrain from resharing content and try to report as much content as we can and also just try educate ourselves about how to treat the same way you would treat someone in the physical space is the same way you should treat someone in the online space with, with dignity, you know, treat someone the way that you would want them to treat you. Um, and that's just generally being humane. Um, and then from a government perspective, we, there is quite a few things that governments can, can do. And firstly, it's just begin to recognize that online violence against women and girls uh, is a global, multi-jurisdictional and gendered problem. Um, so firstly, as governments implement the global standards that address the root causes of violence against women and girls. So this is through implementations of laws that seek to 
end discrimination and gender and intersecting inequalities and the proliferation of misogyny and abuse of power online. Um, also, as a, as a government, you can review and update your national legislation and policies to fully protect women online from gender-based violence. Um, we can also adopt and implement global standards on online violence against women that are aligned with international human rights laws. Um, there's also, you know, we can also try to criminalize this uh, abuse and exploitation. Um, uh, Gravio is developing some new recommendations on how national governments can can go about this so looking at those particular recommendations and the different standards that are currently being developed and using those to review and update national laws so that um, they are met you know firstly at a in, international level secondly making sure that human rights are uh, protected and in particular women's rights are protected online and up to date um, also, governments can provide legislative measures that enable law enforcement to investigate and, and, and uh, prosecute these particular crimes uh, and implement laws that facilitate identification and provision of support services and compensation and non-punishment of online violence against women victims. Um, also in our laws, uh, and we are starting to see a lot of this happening, but governments should mandate that uh, tech companies and these social media platforms have easy to use reporting pr procedures. And these procedures should and, and, and enable victims, their, uh, their respective uh, families, or any, any, any of their representatives to provide service, pro to provide the digital service providers and the platforms with information that is adequate to identify firstly the material or portion of the particular material and to remove that material within 24 hours or at least at the very least 72 hours. Um, our, the laws that governments implement should also mandate that you have an independent regulatory body that foresees, that, that oversees that all these things are happening uh, at, at a national level. So in the, in, in the example that I gave earlier about the, um, about the young lady in South Africa, just having an independent regulatory body that can assist victims in instances to have a place to go and say what do I do next um, I want to find out who the perpetrator is because I want to take the matter further so at least having a body that uh, deals with that that will be also a very good starting place and it will also assist to not just hold uh, tech companies liable but also hold um, perpetrators liable and to ensure that victims get the support um, that they need and we governments need to capacity build so make sure that all these infrastructures are, are there they're in place you have the legislation you have the policy frameworks you have the independent regulatory bodies um, and also work with civil society and the media to raise awareness and understanding on what online violence against women um, is uh, what it includes what does it look like um, because the more that society understands what it is the more that we understand what the problem is how to identify it the more that can be done also at an individual level um, and also governments should work with um, 
survivor organizations um, as these are able to to give an understanding of what a survivor went through and what the abuse looks like what is it looking like is it changing is it the same um, so that next time they're able to identify it and also from a legal perspective they're able to implement laws that go to the to the particular challenges that survivors or women are facing in the real world it is good enough to have a law but we need to have a law that is practical to the in-country context um, and also it would just be good to have governments, civil society organizations, and the tech platforms work together to see how can we provide a safe environment for women and girls in the online space. Um, it is not, this is not a challenge that government can deal with or civil society organizations can deal with or just individuals can, can, can deal with. This is a um, multi-stakeholder challenge that each and every individual party needs to come together and to ensure that how do we work together to make sure that we don't continue having this particular problem. Um, thanks to COVID-19, we're seeing that a lot of our lives are now happening online. I mean, you and I are having this podcast in, in the online space where naturally you were in pre-2019 would have had it face-to-face, -face, but now we're having it online. Um, so more and more things are happening online. Um, and as it's going further, it would be good for women and girls to feel safe and secure online, to look for information online, to express themselves online. Thank you, Amanda, for those um, very articulate sentiments that you have shared with us. I'd like you to just give your concluding remarks as we wrap our conversation up. Thank you so much, Tatenda. Um, in, in closing, I, I would I'll just say online violence against women is a multi-jurisdictional challenge. Um, and because it is a multi-jurisdictional challenge, we need to start thinking about it very differently. We, we need to stop thinking it is something that happens uh, in individual homes or you know, in an individual setting. It is, we need to think about it more broadly. Um, and also because it is a multi-jurisdictional issue, it is also, an, it also a challenge that involves uh, many different parties that are sitting in many different countries. So we need to look at it from a global context. And we also need to realize that um, it, it just doesn't involve women's rights or one simple right. It, involve, it involves multiple rights. It involves rights such as the right to dignity, involves a right to freedom of expression, it involves the right to privacy. So it, it involves quite a lot of um, rights that need to be exercised freely and, you know, and fairly. Uh, so in thinking about the different laws that uh, lawmakers need to implement, they need to be looking at it from that perspective and also looking at even though we have, we want to have laws, how can we work together with different governments? So if this is to happen to a citizen that is sitting in Nigeria, how can we, how can the Nigerian government be able to assist, you know, uh, if the perpetrator is in Kenya, what, what can be done or 
because the platform is not based in, in your particular country, how can we make sure that the victim gets access to the information of the perpetrator? At the same time, how do we make sure that other rights, so such as, like I've mentioned, that the right to privacy, how can we also make sure that these rights are being protected? There are a number of factors that come to play, and we need to be thinking about it from that perspective. Women should be able to be online, use the internet, use digital te te technologies without um, fearing for their lives, without fearing for their dignity. Uh, but at the same time, we also need to make sure that all these other different rights are expressed online. And particularly women need to be able to be in a world that they, they feel comfortable in. And this world includes the online space now. Um, and so urging Governments also urging, you know, the, the, the different policymakers to just look at it from that perspective of it's multi-jurisdictional. It's Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much, um, Amanda. And I think from this conversation, what we pick up is that as much as technologies provide opportunities to advance human rights protection, there's a need to have difficult conversations such as these that focus on responsible innovations and rights respecting technologies that put um, human rights first, and in this case, women's rights. Please join us again in our next episode of Africa Rights Talk. Have a lovely day. This has been Africa Rights Talk. Join us in our other episodes as we continue to explore other human rights issues.